The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 268, premium for Friday, June 18th, 2010. To this week-ending first premium show of June from Durham, New Hampshire, where it's sunny and hot, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, which is also sunny and maybe not quite as hot, uh, John F. Braun. Hello. Oh, hello. Uh, lots of stuff going on this week, John, and uh, it's probably worth talking about some of it, you know, in our in our Mac Apple universe here. Um you know, we right off the uh, heels of WWDC, Apple did a bunch this week. Two things that we knew about, right? That uh, iOS four comes on Monday, and iPhone four orders happened this past Tuesday, or the or op- the store opened this past Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, much to our surprise, also on Tuesday was uh, new Mac Minis and Mac OS ten ten point six point four. Huh? I thought the Mac was dead. Guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh let's start with the let's start with the mac minis what what uh because i think that's actually a very interesting thing to to talk about for a little bit and then we, we've actually got a lot of a lot of your questions to answer we've got some good stuff coming up so let's let's uh let's ramble a little bit here and then and then move on oh i know a lot of people were waiting for uh expecting a refresh yeah it's uh it was getting kind of long in the tooth yep. um so you know unibody it's it's sexy yeah. Um, no stupid uh, wallboard or power brick. That's very nice. Uh, they incorporated that in there, I guess, uh, because it draws oh so little power. It's, yep. it's pretty amazing what they crammed in there. And, um, you know, the one thing a lot of people are going to miss is the joy of trying to bust that thing open to <laughs> to, add, to upgrade the memory. Uh, no, no more putty knife. So uh, very... Uh, I don't know. If it, I'm actually kind of tempted. This this may be an upgrade for me, Dave. From the uh, my uh, you know speaking along in the tooth here, the uh, the G5. I mean, I'm sure this thing would totally kick its butt. I'm sure it would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and in that respect, it's actually pretty cheap, right? I mean, you're you're starting at what six is it six forty nine or six ninety nine? I can't I can't get that in front of me. Six ninety nine for the for the basic. Yeah, uh, you know, dual two point four two gigs of memory, three twenty gig hard drive, super drive, uh, graphics. Um, but yeah, six uh, six ninety nine. So that's uh, I, I believe the, the the bottom or the the you know the the basic configuration before this. I think it was four ninety nine. Was it not? I thought so. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely crept up. It's which is interesting to see. It's you know, I I wonder if if they really are just mostly targeting the server category with this, right? I mean, initially the Mac mini was released as the switchers machine, I, you know, but I have to say, and of course I'm, I don't even come close to falling into the switcher category, but every time that I sat down and, and I did this two or three times, sat down to buy a Mac mini, uh, you know, thinking, okay, you know, the Mac mini is the right machine for us over at the house or, you know, here in the studio or whatever, you know, we've already got monitors galore, this is perfect. We get keyboards coming out of our ears. So I'd sit down to buy a Mac mini and then I'd go to the refurb store because, you know, I'd always look for refurbs and Mac mini refurbs uh, in the past have traditionally been pretty hard to come by. They sit in the store for several hours and then, and then that's it. So, you know, I'd go to the store. Okay, fine. Yep. Finally, there's Mac minis. I'd look. And then as always, I'd compare it to the iMacs and every single time I thought, you know, it's worth the extra $112 or whatever it was to, you know, to go to some iMac of, of comparable, horsepower because you get the great monitor with it and everything's all kind of right there. So, um, so I, I never wound up buying one, even though I intended to multiple times, I was moments away from pulling the trigger many times. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they realized that, but for, as a server machine now, it's awesome. Cause if you don't need a lot of horsepower, uh, you know, if you don't need the, like, you know, quad core or eight core horsepower, if you just need a little server, uh, the Mac mini, it doesn't get any better than the Mac mini. Yeah, I saw that you could. So they replaced the uh, super drive with another drive. Right. Um, one thing I think some people pointed out is that the drive in the non-server is a fifty-four hundred RPM, and the ones are uh, higher class of drive in the uh, in yep. the server. But yeah, and that that comes in uh, starting at a thousand bucks. So again, I'm uh, I'm 
I'm tempted. Uh, the, the other thing with the price, I mean, to me, I think the answer to why they bumped it up a little bit is uh, margins. I imagine. Yeah. Uh, the good news is you can put, you know, for a hundred bucks right now, it doubles your RAM right from two gigs to four gigs. So um, yeah, the only limitation you're going to have is your, your, there's, you know, you're limited to those two cores in the Mac mini, which, which makes it, you know, a very low end machine by today's standards. Uh, you know, your iMac is going to have, you know, probably four cores, right? Your MacBook pro likely to have four cores, depending on how you, how you configure it. So that, you know, that, that's the one thing to consider if you're trying to decide between them. If, if you're trying to decide between a Mac pro and a Mac mini, it's the, you know, do you need more than two cores or are you going to want more than two cores uh, mm-hmm. between now and whenever you're going to retire that thing, which for you, I think is 2052. Is that right? With that, if you bought a Mac mini now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like, uh, like to get squeeze every little bit of life out of, out of my toys. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed, though, and I don't know why Apple keeps doing this, is I think this is the first machine where they officially support eight gigabytes of RAM in the specs. Now, now the prior one, from what I understand, even then I, I looked at the specs, which, you know, you can always support.apple.com slash specs, I think it is, you can see. And I believe the prior one, they only claimed that it could take four, but as, as uh, I, I looked, you know, OWC and others say, well, no, it can really take eight. I don't right. know why Apple continues to understate the uh, maximum amount of RAM on their machines. Yeah, it, it, this it, it, it's an interesting machine for sure. You know, they they put the HDMI port on it, which obviously makes it that much easier to use this for, uh, you know, as an Apple TV replacement, if you will. But at that price point, that's a really expensive Apple TV replacement. Uh, you know, you're, you're not gonna. I, I don't know. Seems seems like a lot when it doesn't have tuners in it. You know, it the only digital out uh, that it has for audio is. Um, or at least the only audio component standard digital out that it has for audio is in the HDMI connector. If you want to go to, uh, to like, uh, 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 why can't I think of the name of it? The, 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 the fiber optic, you know, discrete 6.1 channel audio, you've got to get the little adapter to, to plug oh, that toss, into your toss the toss link. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so. they do toss in, I think a HDMI to DVI converter. If you do have a DVI monitor, like that's I cool. Yep. So, yeah. So, yeah, well, I think, you know, if, if I had to get a new machine, I'd probably have to get it because right now I still have an 18 inch uh, for my desktop. Yeah, I think, I think it would justify getting a, you know, widescreen uh, larger. Yep. Anyways, um, I'm 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 tempted. So I, I did it, John. Uh, about an hour ago, I upgraded this computer here to Mac OS 10, 10.6.4 uh, right before we were ready to record the show. And so Excellent. far, yeah, so far, so good. Assuming, you know, that all of our premium listeners actually get to hear this then uh, it's so far so good. But, uh, you know, there's an interesting thing in there. There was, there was a lot of stuff that was like, okay, you know, this will help this little bit. Everything was, was, it seemed fairly incremental with these, you know, minor little bug fixes and that sort of thing. But one of the bug fixes was uh, where it says it resolves an issue with noise when gen, when using some third party firewire audio devices. So uh, I'm curious, we're we're still using the new USB setup here today, but I'm curious if, you know, that would have fixed our issue with the Mackie board before, you know, before we went out and bought this whole new rig. But, and hey. by noise, they really mean audio corruption. Uh, <laughs> yes, whatever. that's right. Yeah, right. Noise. Yeah, there's no noise. <laughs> what else came out? I think, uh, oh, in preparation for some other things, but iTunes. Uh, iTunes uh, 9.2. New- uh, if you have jailbroken your iPhone, I believe iTunes 9.2 will not let you jailbreak it again with the Spirit jailbreak, but the other ones work just fine. Um, and the Spirit people said they were working on on, on resolving that. So ba- bear that in mind. All right. Anything yeah. else in the? Um, well, so we have uh, yeah. iOS four comes on Monday for your iPhones and iPod touches, and somehow Apple said they were figured out how to make it free. I don't know if they finally uh, took Alan Meckler's lead and and are you know flipping the bird to uh, Sarbanes Oxley, but uh, whatever it is, they've figured out how to make it free, and that's good. Makes me happy. Yeah, it's good. Um. So iOS four comes Monday and then there was the iPhone pre-orders. John, do you want to, do you want to talk about that? Of course the iPhone ship, iPhone four ships on, uh, uh, on this coming Thursday, the 24th, but this past Tuesday, the 15th, they opened up 
the order store and it was a big fiasco and it was mostly AT&T servers that got massively overloaded for everybody in that, you know, that made it very difficult. We, we tried to order two here. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, we, we actually multiple times had an order in with both where both of them had been configured and all that stuff. Uh, and it never made it through. And finally the one order that did make it through was only for one. And two days later, once I was finally able to get on hold to wait for someone at Apple to talk to the ship date, of course, had shipped had slipped from June 24th all the way back to, I think, July 15th or July 14th or something. And uh, and at that point, it wasn't I needed to get it for needed to get the second one for a new person that we started here. And I don't want to make him wait until the middle of July to get a phone. So uh, so I will we'll just roll one of the other iPhones we have in the in the in the plan here over to him once, uh, once the new one arrives. <laughs> My initial reaction is what's wrong with you people. It's just a telephone. <laughs> no, no, John, I, it's I, not I, just I a couldn't telephone. Underst- uh, maybe they're putting, you know, RDF, uh, uh, anti RDF chemicals in the, my water here, but I was just watching the, <laughs> the brouhaha and the people just like desperately trying to get this and beating on the servers. And of course, you know, it, it, it kind of fed on itself is that the more, problems people had the more that they tried to get and reload and it, it kind of but but i think uh, as you pointed out i think that the the problem was not so much the apple servers it was the uh when you when they handed it off to at&t to grab your info they they were woefully unprepared for the uh volume because uh you know profitable companies that you know have a lot of cash on hand certainly can't anticipate something like this and maybe scale up their infrastructure that, 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 that I, I, I don't that's know how ludicrous you get, that's crazy talk john nobody does that <laughs> Nobody does that. We we wouldn't do that for like say when we're live blogging the keynote or anything. We we wouldn't you know go out of our way to make sure we have extra. Sur- oh wait, no, we do. We're not, yeah. but we're not, we're not a big, large, huge company. We're just little people, you know, well, normal sized people. But uh, yeah, now there were ways I understand. Now one, I think they came out with a uh, Apple Store app yes. for the iDevices, and apparently if you took that channel, it was a little better. You you were avoiding one point of congestion. Um, I so I tried that channel. We tried all kinds of different channels, and the problem with okay. that channel was uh, that I could never get it to let me have one shipped to me. It was always make a reservation in the store. Oh, all right. So yeah, it, uh, if you were looking to just do that, then sure. But otherwise, it didn't work. So and and apparently they uh, they did run out i was joking to people i'm like what do you think what do you think is going to happen they're going to run out of iphones and apparently they uh they there were reports of <laughs> they did so yeah. um i guess that's a, a good problem to have yeah there, there's worse things that could happen all right so is it time to talk about speaking of we'll, we'll, we'll segue from iphones to ipads and answer uh brian's questions that sound good john mm-hmm. hey dave and john john and dave uh this is brian um, I just recently got an iPad, and it's the greatest machine ever. I got it last weekend. I don't think I've put it down besides the sleep. One thing uh, occurred to me last night, though. I was typing away in pages, making and creating a document, and when I was done, I didn't know what to do with it. There's no documents folder. I have Dropbox, but I couldn't figure out how to get it into Dropbox. I'm just not sure, and I can't print, so I'm not sure what to do with the documents once I create them on this amazing, magical device, the iPad. Maybe it would be helpful if you guys could spend a few minutes just discussing what to do with documents that we create using our iPad, where we can put them and how we we can reuse them. Thanks again. Yeah, you bet, Brian. Thanks for for chiming in and asking. So this is an interesting thing, and I noticed this as soon as I got my iPad. there's there's a couple of um, and it's it's stupid. They've got to fix this. But here's how it is right now. So you go into pages or or numbers or keynote and you create the document. Right. And then there's a button at the bottom or a, a, a user interface thing that you tap uh, at the bottom. I'll call it a button. And it's got uh, you can send the document via email. You can share it via iWork.com. Or hmm. there's a button called export. Uh, and so if you want to get it to your Mac, it stands to reason that export would be a great thing. So what happens when you choose export is that a copy of the document is saved to this like purgatory. And we've talked about this before, but it's worth it bears repeating. It's saved to this purgatory that exists on your iMac uh, on your sorry, on your iPad. Then when you connect the iPad to your Mac, if you go into iTunes, click on your iPad and go to the summary screen. 
uh, and scroll all the way down, you'll see uh, a thing labeled file sharing. And it'll list all the apps that you have that support this file sharing via purgatory method. Right. (laughs) And and so anything that on the iPad you have put into this purgatory will appear in your list next to the app in question. So you'll see a list. You click on pages if that's where the app you created it. And then you'll see a list and you can dry. You can drag things out or click on it and choose save as. And then you can also bring things from your Mac in. It's important to note, though, if you are in numbers on or pages let's just keep things consistent pages on your ipad and you create a document and then you choose export and it just exports it to this purgatory but you're not connected to your mac so it hasn't actually gone anywhere yet and then you make more edits but don't export the what your mac sees will be the older version of this so it's it you're not actually seeing the files on your that 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 uh, pages sees you're seeing them this way so it's a weird sort of thing so yeah. they're out of sync it's yeah it's multiple copies of the same Ooh. thing it's a so mess. The version you see on the ipad uh, to be uh, so the version on the ipad may not match what you see in the document view on itunes is that what you're correct calling? correct Ooh, that's that's a little version control nastiness it's a, it's a whole the whole thing's a disaster how come how yeah, come i okay. don't you know i mean it's, it's, <laughs> it's a disaster. you're right this is you know we're nitpicking something here it's like well the building's falling down and you know that mailbox out front it's just the yeah. wrong color uh it, it's you know the whole thing is a it, it it needs to be fixed desperately and then yes of course brian you need to be able to print from the from the device too so i i i think apple is clearly aware of of these shortcomings uh i think they were shorthanded when they were putting the iPad uh, together and they just didn't have the resources to get the rest of that done uh, in time. I, I, that's the only excuse yeah. I can come up with. It's, I, a, it's, a, it's a kludge. It's a big time kludge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've noticed some similar weirdness now, you know, of course I, I, I am also resistant to the iPad RDF, but, um, right. but I noticed this on my iPod touch is when I do a screen snapshot, the thing is I'm, I've kind of become used to iTunes being the gateway to my iDevice. Right. And when I do a screen snapshot um, and I plug it in, it, of course, launches iPhoto. Just like, huh? Yep. Uh, again, I would expect that one application would be responsible for being your, your uh, the way you communicate or interact with the device. Um, uh, on the other hand, it's not surprising that, you know, photos or screenshots are brought up in iPhoto. Not right. too surprising. Once well, I saw it happen, I'm like, Yeah, and the, wait, reason, I, the reason for that is actually in a way more consistent with other things. Cause if you take a camera and plug it in, it's iPhoto right. that opens. Right. And so that's, you know, that, that it's that same, that same paradigm because the, while your eye, your iPod touch doesn't have a camera, you, you know, iPhones do. So I think that's where it's. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I'm right. with you on that, but it sounds like they need uh cause I'm surprised there is no, as, as we come to expect on applications, there's no save or save as. Because I guess there's no visible file system that we've become used to. We need access to. We need something. We don't. You know. Yeah. I'm, I, I I hesitate to use the word use the word system because that may not. We may not. We don't need access to the whole thing. We don't. We just need access to some common folder that all the apps mm-hmm. and our Macs or Windows PCs can see. One common repository. And it doesn't need to be a whole system, just a repository, preferably mm-hmm. with folder ability. But, you know, we'd probably even live if that wasn't possible. So, uh, all right. On to Jerry had a good question. Jerry wrote in and said, any way you can do a brief talk on why a person would buy Tech Tool Pro over the cheaper apps or free apps such as Onyx or Applejack or any one of the other apps I hear about a lot. I own Tech Tool Pro and I like it, but I wonder if there would be a conflict by using it with other cheaper apps. Okay. So this is a this is a loaded question, of course. Um, the 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 not so simple answer is that they all do different things. Um, even if you come, even if to to that list of three, even if we add Disk Warrior and Disk Utility, they still all have slightly different, but but in various ways overlapping features, right? So. Should we should we just talk through some some brief descriptions of what each of these are, John? Is that that, that that probably makes sense, right? So Apple, um, yeah, and I have uh, so Tech Tool Pro, and there's also I believe, uh, Tech Tool Deluxe, which is right. what I have, which is what I think I believe they still offer if you get Apple Care. Correct. And, you get, 
And I, I think uh, I think Tech Tool Deluxe is a subset of Tech Tool Pro. But I, I would, looking at what I see on the Tech Tool Deluxe screen, and also I looked at Tech Tool Pro, I, I'd say Tech Tool Pro. If you're if 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 you're having hardware issues, it looks. Uh, I would lean towards Tech Tool Pro yep. to to address what you believe is a hardware issue because I think they have something that'll do a lot of verification of what's on the hard drive. I believe they have something that'll, that'll beat on your memory. It'll be beat on your video memory um, and a few other things. So, so I think um, if you suspect there's a hardware issue, I think tech tool is, uh, is, is a good place to start. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It, 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 it shares some of the features of, of drive genius, such as, you know, hard drive diagnostics uh, and repair some disc optimization um, it's got some data recovery, which is like uh, ProSoft's uh, uh, data recovery. Isn't that the name of it? Um, and, data and rescue. Data rescue. Thank you. Uh, and then it also has that this eDrive feature, which is interesting. It allows you to create, and it'll, it'll do this on the fly. It creates a partition on your drive that has macOS 10 and or enough of macOS 10 to get tech tool up and running so that if you run into a problem, and you can't boot your drive normally, uh, as long as the drive itself is healthy and your problem is more, you know, de- uh, corruption on the, uh, you know, of the file system or, or something else, you can boot to this E drive, uh, which is just a partition on the, dr- on, on the same platter and perhaps repair your, your disc, you know, without, uh, without having to use DVDs or, or, you know, external drives to, to boot from or anything like that. So. So, yeah. So, you know, tech tools, tech tools, interesting um, it, to compare it. It doesn't really compare to Onyx and Applejack other than that. They're all in the maintenance uh, or repair category. Applejack is a command line utility meant to be used in single user mode uh, that allows you to do some on the fly diagnostics as well as file system repair, uh, re- permissions repair, preference file uh, you can search for damaged preference files, and I think you can also delete virtual memory uh, files from there. Now, this is all stuff that you could do from the command line if you knew all the commands, but Applejack coalesces it all into a nice little interface, and you can even tell it to do everything all at once. Um, so that 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 wouldn't get in the way of Tech Tool Pro, and and Onyx is is a different thing, right? But it's it's the same as well. It it or it it does it's a software utility for maintenance. It does cache cleaning. It'll run your system maintenance scripts. Uh, and it has some tweaks that lets you kind of go through and, and muck with different settings. And then it can also do some minor repairs, permissions and, and that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that, does that make that, sense? That, yeah, that pretty much covers it. I, I think where it really shines is, you know, especially with, with, uh, caches, as, as you mentioned, yeah, you, you font caches or, or whatever. A lot of times, you know, for efficiency's sake, uh, the OS or an application will, cache data rather than trying to read it again. And sometimes those files get corrupted and, and this does a, a good job of clearing those out and starting from scratch. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. So yeah, tech tool pro most related to hardware all the way down to like Onyx and Applejack least related to hardware. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. On to gray. I'll, uh, I'll read the question. I'll set the question up for you here, John. Mm-hmm. Gray writes, Apple replaced my dead time capsule under Apple Care. While at the Apple store, I purchased a LaCie USB drive to archive the time capsule to prevent data loss should the replacement die. During the initi- initiation, initial- initialization of the LaCie drive, I used the included utility to format the drive as a single journaled HFS plus partition. A dialog appeared saying that I would have to install Rosetta in order to run their utility. I'm using macOS 10 10.6.3. This came in before 10.6.4 was out. I downloaded Rosetta, installed it, formatted the drive, and successfully archived the time capsule. However, as you can see in the screenshot below, I noticed the system slowdown accompanied by increased CPU activity revealed by menu meters. Activity monitor shows a process called translate that's taking up 100% of at least one of the CPU cycles. Since it's a power PC type process, I assume it's related to Rosetta. What's going on? It looks like Rosetta is the problem, but how do I get rid of it? I don't see any of the I don't see it in any of the application directories. And indeed, his screenshot showed this translate process eating up 100 yeah. percent, 99 percent of a CPU. So. 
All right. So, so the short answer is, I think whatever uh, I think he was saying was C drive. Mm. So whatever whatever software it tossed on there is garbage. It, it, it's doing something wrong. Yeah, and you don't need it, right? I mean, I can't imagine why you would need it. Just use Disk Utility to reformat and forget about their garbage software that came with it, right? I, I don't see why you would need anything beyond just the drive itself. And the, yeah, and the, as long as install- there's no as long as there's no features of the drive that go beyond it being just a a dumb drive, right? I mean, if it's got some circuitry on it that you know, because Lacie has some of those networkable drives that do cool things like you know they they're their own BitTorrent client, they're their own file sharing client, all that stuff. That's much different. But if it's just a USB drive with no bells and whistles, then it, you just treat it like any other drive and use disk utility. Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. That, that's my experience. And yeah, I think I've had some WD drives that they'll install a utility that'll, you know, help with RAID and stuff like that. And, right. Uh, but, but, but yeah, I, I, I hate it when hardware manufacturers try to toss in stuff that's unnecessary, especially right. without your permission. I've, I've had some drives where they'll toss in something that, that isn't even in the login items. It's like buried in the OS somewhere that they run. And I'm like, what do you stop that? Okay. Um, Here's the uh, I'm going to describe the right way to go about this, Dave, and then the wrong way, because I did the wrong way, but I'm, I'm here to tell the tale. OK, so the right way to go about this is there's a very nice Mac OS 10 hints article called disable and enable Rosetta via terminal. This is the correct way to do it. OK, and okay. I don't know if I don't know if I need to read this out here. We, we, we will, of course, link to the article. But if you if you Google disable and enable Rosetta via terminal, um, you'll find it. But basically, there's a a, a pseudo command because you have to be you know admin or root or whatever. it's a privilege command to change this setting. But it's uh, I believe it's it's actually a uh, in a plist file somewhere where it's um, uh, changing or it's doing sys control, which I don't know the details on that. But anyways, okay. there there are two commands here. One enables Rosetta or, or one disables it, which is what he wants to do. And actually, I sent off this article and said try this, and he's like, yep, work great, great. Um, in that when it tried to run this app, it, it prompted him as, you know, OS 10 does now saying, oh, you're trying to run a power PC app. You want to install Rosetta? And I think the next step for him to do is now that he's properly disabled Rosetta is to dig around in the console and find out who's trying to run. Because uh, there should be a, a error somewhere in the console saying, whoop, whoop, can't run this. You want to install Rosetta? Right, right. And likewise, there is a way to re-enable it if you do need it in the future. So that is the correct way to do it. Okay. Now, here's the incorrect way to do it, because I was doing a bit of research on this. It sounds like you've tried something that uh, perhaps it's a don't try this at home uh, warning here. Yes, but I'll tell you how I recovered from it. So the thing is, the Rosetta code is in slash user slash libexec slap slash OAH. So just to be clear, it's it when you say slash user, you mean slash USR. That's correct. Okay. Slash USR slash libexec slash OAH. Yep. And then there are a couple of directories and some programs and stuff in there. And I'm like, you know what? I want to get rid of Rosetta. I'm just going to hop into that directory and I'm just going to do a RM-FR on everything in there. Wow. Uh, be careful. Hey, you know, I'm, I have a back. I have a backup, Folks, Dave. this is what backups are for. That's right. <laughs> Again, I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst oh. that could happen. Well, no, no, no. It actually was okay. I'll, I'll tell you what still, happened. Did your machine still boot? Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, no. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Okay. And then I tried to launch a, a app that wanted to use Rosetta, uh, Eudora. Uh, okay. Although I don't use it anymore, it's right. still on the machine just in case. Sure. And it basically did a crash. And then I got a crash window. Now, it didn't take down the OS. It just said, whoop, seg fault or something like that. And I'm like, huh. Huh. All right. Well, uh, it kind of prevented the program from, it certainly prevented the program from running in that it brought up an error dialogue. The thing is, I killed Rosetta. Because I got rid of everything. And I'm like, huh, well, I want to restore it. So now what am I going to do? And then, and then I tried a couple of different things. So one, I was like, hmm, I seem to remember on my Snow Leopard DVD that there's a, I think there's a folder called optional installs. Oh, right. And I went into that and there actually is, if you run that program, there is a way to install just Rosetta. So I'm like, ah, this is how I'm going to save myself. I'm just going to reinstall Rosetta everything's going to be great. Uh, How'd that work out for you? Yeah, Uh, it worked out. Well, you know, I, but then I took another path. So the thing is it, it, it installed it, but then it said "Uh, you know what? Your current OS is newer than this here. So 
you know what? You better install a combo update just to make sure that because when I looked, it did not restore all of the pieces. It only installed uh, reinstalled a couple of them. Yeah. OK, so some of Rosetta, it, even though it has to download it the first time you run it, if you haven't put it on already, is it, it sounds like some of it's installed as part of the OS and then it's going to get the rest of it online. Is that that perhaps I think consistent? if I had I think if I had done this, um, the thing is, I did not have the combo updater. For ah. 10.6.4. If I had, then I would have done that because it's a it's a pretty large download. I'm like, hmm. All right. Well, instead of doing that, now I, I I could have either completed this process or I could abandon it. So so I abandoned it, and here's what I did that made everything just great. Okay. So you know we have our friend Time Machine, but, but you know the problem with Time Machine, Dave. Well, I don't know, but last I checked, you can't get to slash USR from the Finder. Ooh, I have an idea as to how you could though. Because, yeah, that's right. Because time machine. Well, you can, can give only, me the idea. Right. But, well, just to, just to explain the problem in case somebody misses this, with time machine, uh, you're, everything you're doing, certainly when you're restoring folders into, uh, you know, folders or files onto your Mac, you have to navigate to that location uh, mm-hmm. with a finder navigation, either once you're in time machine or you can go there before and then just hit the time machine button and it'll, it'll bring you right there with time machine. But, your problem, John, was that there's no obvious way, at, at the very least, of getting yourself to this slash USR slash libexec slash OAH folder. Is that right? Right. Okay. What would you do, Dave? Well, what I would do is, and this is because I'm a geek, right? I would go to, but we're all on the geek bus here, right? We're, we're just, and really, <laughs> you and I are just riding along, right? It's, it's, the, it's the listeners that are, that are driving, and in this case, it's Gray, right? So, Gray, you, you drove the bus here. We're just going uh, to look out the window. Um, there, there's, there's something in there about the, the geek bus, right? The geek gab bus. Um, in the finder, you go to the go menu. I, 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 I mean it. I'm, this is going to lead somewhere, and it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the finder, you go to the go menu, and one step up from the bottom is, at least in Snow Leopard, is go to folder. And in there, you get a little dialogue and you can type whatever you want to your heart's content. And if it exists on your Mac, once you hit OK, it brings you there. Correct. And that's what I did. Very good. Thanks. So basically, I did that. But then there was one other problem. OK, so basically, I did that. Which then displayed what's in uh, slash USR slash libexec slash OAH. And then I was able to go back, you know, to a couple of days. And, of course, Time Machine showed me everything that was there before I violently destroyed it right. with RM-FR. Yes, which you the, be very the, careful the, with. The machete of all Unix commands. Yeah. Um, be very, uh, I know what I'm doing folks, or at least I so I know I was sure to be in that directory. Right. Of course, if you execute that from the top level directory, you will destroy everything on your computer. Oh yeah. Especially if you proceed with it with a sudo. Yes. So, so here's the thing. So I went to that, I went to time machine. Now here's the other problem, Dave. So then I, you know, went back a couple hours or, or like to the prior days Sure. and everything was there and I'm like, okay, let's restore it. Then it brings up a file dialogue saying, okay, where do you want me to put it? Ah, <laughs> oh, really? No, because the thing is, the file dialog doesn't let you navigate. Oh, that sucks. So, it, oh. uh, but here's how I solved it. Right. Okay, now yeah. on the left side of your screen, you have a little uh, submenu called Places. Right. So basically, what I did is I went back to the Finder, went back to that view that showed that directory that we got to by using the Go command. Yep put a folder in places. And then when I tried to restore it again, that folder was available for me to write the stuff back to. I wrote the stuff back. Everything was fine. So Maximum it was quite an adventure. Respect, man. That's great. Oh yeah. At first I thought, hack. Oh man, I hosed everything. Now, would default terrible. Would, would default folder have helped you here? Hi, you know, I'm running default folder. I couldn't, oh, uh, maybe it was time buried, machine, huh? Maybe it was buried. In one of their menus, but I didn't. Uh, I don't believe there's a feature in okay. default folder that lets you navigate to some of these kind of hidden directories. Yeah. So, hmm. All right. I couldn't find it. I, I was looking for it. I'm like, oh, default folder has to be. I think it's the one thing it can't do. It's it's wonderful for a bunch of other things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting that in places. Um, let it's got It's got to be in default folder. I can't imagine. Well, we'll I'll make sure to send a link to to this show to uh, to John and and. Uh, and and if it's not already in default folder, you you know that he'll think about uh, adding it for a new version. 
And if it is there, he'll tell us where it is and then we'll, we'll report back. Mm-hmm. All right. So quite an adventure, but everything's back. like So, so I'm hoping he can find uh, now that he's disabled that, uh, that, that the system will stop at some point and say, Hup, Rosetta's not here. And he can find this, this, where it buried this utility and, and get rid of it. Cause the, the thing is now he's going to have to deal with acknowledging that dialogue every time the system starts up. And I don't think he wants to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes good sense. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You want to, you want to find what's, what's triggering that. That's right. And login items would be the, at least the first place to look. So, uh, all right, let's see. Uh, looking next here, uh, you know, let's go to, uh, let's go to Mike here. This is, this is a good geeky. We've got a couple of geeky network things to do in a, in a row here, but I, okay. I like this one to start with. So, mm-hmm. uh, Mike writes, John and Dave, is there a way to provide Ethernet and fax capabilities to the same Ethernet jack in the wall? My new house is set up as follows. Every room in the house has one Ethernet port with the cables running inside the walls that meet in the master closet. The central hub is located in my closet where I have the Comcast modem and airport extreme router. The modem also has a special adapter that it will accept Ethernet cables and will provide telephone service. To get the internet to a given room, I connect its corresponding cable into the router, and to get the telephone service to that room, I connect the cable to that router. The dilemma comes with my printer, which is in my home office and has fax capabilities. My office is configured for the internet, but there are times when I need to send faxes. Currently, to do this, I need to drag the printer from my office downstairs to the only location that has given te- that is given wired telephone service. My question is, is there an adapter that will allow me to connect my study to both the airport and the phone adapter to give my printer what it needs to fax and to keep the internet connection to that room. Okay. So, uh, the advice that, uh, that I, that I gave to Mike and that I'm about to give now, uh, I I don't know if you're going to agree with it, John, uh, but, uh, certainly it's not recommended. Uh, but I have, I want to make one observation though. Um, uh, based, uh, I think I got the act or, or the numbers right here, but I believe your your standard network cable is a RJ forty five. That that's what he's referring to. So an eight and pin. I, it looks like a big fat phone connector. If you've never seen an Ethernet cable before, but probably most everyone that listens here has. It's it, at the very least, it's the cable that goes from your high speed internet connection, be it your cable modem or DSL, to your uh, airport router. Right. And then analog telephone, I think, is an RJ11, which is a smaller four connector four wire. Right. OK. All right. That, right. that came back to me. But yep. um, but yeah, go. I, I, okay. I, I actually like what you're going to propose here. Oh, OK, cool. Hey, excellent. Uh, so the the idea here is that um, it's important to note if if you were to take your uh facts you're the line that runs between your home office the ethernet line that runs between your home office and the the router room uh and unplugged it from your computer in the office and from your uh router in the in the wiring room and then plugged it into your telephone jack and on the you know on the cable modem or whatever it is and then also took your fax machine in the home office and plugged that into the Ethernet jack, uh, your phone service would work. And the reason for that likely work. Uh, the reason for that is if the cable's wired in a standard configuration, the middle pair, in fact, it really shouldn't matter uh, as long as it's consistent on both ends. The, the middle pair is what's used for telephone. So even though the telephone jack is smaller or the telephone connector is smaller than the than the RJ45 jack that you're plugging it into. Uh, it's really the just the middle pair that matters for phone service. So huh. so yeah, so it would work just fine. However, now your computer's not connected. Here's the good news. Your computer, there's four pairs in a standard Ethernet cable. So we're probably talking cat six here, but we might be talking cat five E and maybe cat five, depending on how old the house is. But there's there's four pairs, meaning eight wires, and each pair is twisted. So there's green, blue, brown and orange. And each pair has a a solid a cable that's a solid color and then a cable that's striped, whatever the color is in white. And uh, and those each one, blue, blue, white, green, green, white, orange, orange, white, brown, brown, white are each twisted together. So, you know, they're, they're separate pairs and the twisting helps reduce interference. And John, maybe if I'm wrong on that, correct me. 
but I think that's what it does. It helps reduce something. Mm, I don't so, know. Sounds right. Okay, good. Perfect. Uh, so, so the ethernet uses ether and, and, and I got to be careful here because this was true with 10 megabit. It was true with hundred megabit ethernet. Uh, Gigabit Ethernet uses all four pairs. So if you need gigabit Ethernet to your office, what we're about to propose will not work. Um, but for 10 megabit or 100 megabit, you're totally fine. In my experience, they use uh, the green, green, white pair, which is pins two and one and the orange, orange, white pair, which is pins six and three. Uh, the blue, blue, white pair is the middle pair. That's pins four and five. So that's what's going to be used for your phone. So what you can do is on both ends, you're going to need to splice the cable apart. Now, I don't know if anybody actually builds an adapter that just simply does this for you because it's really not recommended. They don't recommend sending phone and Ethernet over the same cable, but I've done it countless times and it just totally works. Uh, so, you know, you need to you need to do some cable splicing and it's not all that hard. Uh, if you've got an Ethernet jack in your office, chances are what you can do is pull the faceplate off and you could go to like Home Depot's where I, I wind up buying all this stuff when I do it and buy a faceplate that has not just one punch out in it, but two punch outs. And you'll get a uh, an RJ45 jack to go into one of the punch outs on the wall plate and an RJ11. So an eight pin and a four pin to go. And then you're going to take that Ethernet cable that's coming in and you're going to splice it out. And the little connectors, it's usually Leviton brand is the ones that I find at Home Depot. And they even come, you're going to need a, a pair of wire cutters, but the rest comes in the bag uh, with the connectors. And what you're doing is uh, is putting the, the pairs in and you just line them up and then they've got a little kind of poor man's punch down tool, which is all you need because you're only going to do this a couple of times. Uh, punch down into the jack, pop the jack into the faceplate, plug your printer into the jack and and your computer into the jack and you're good to go. So you're going to split out pins one, two, three, and six to your ethernet jack. And then you're going to pit, split out pins four and five, which are the blue to the, uh, to the, um, the phone jack. And, and you're going to put those right in the middle of the phone jack. Uh, and but pins one, two, three, and six go to their same locations on the, on the ethernet jack. And then you're good to go. Uh, and you do that on both ends and it, it works. Um, all that said, and, and John, you can, I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion of this, but, uh, but before, before I turn it over to you, I'll say, this is why anytime I or anyone else that I know is running cat five cable in the walls, I always recommend running two cat fives because you, then you have all the flexibility you need to do whatever you, you know, whatever you possibly can dream up, or at least whatever we can dream up right now. Uh, it's really easy and cheap to run double runs when, when the, when it's just framed out and before the sheetrock goes up, once the sheetrock's up, it's a whole different ball game. So uh, I'll throw that mm -hmm. out there, but yeah, I'm curious to your opinion on this, John. No, I'm with you. The, the, the only, uh, yeah, I like the, uh, creative, uh, use of wiring and Hey, the wires are there. One. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why the heck not? And, and it is fortunate that, um, you know, the jacks are somewhat compatible, at least in one direction. Right. Right. Um, no, I guess the only thing I suggest is, uh, you know, rather than a you know fax machine, you may want to if if you even if you still have a fax modem, but maybe you know consider something like um, page sender. Um, or I know there are also services. I I think uh, I I I don't know them off the top of my head that will let you um, you know do a, like an email to fax type of deal. Yep. So yeah, that's right. E-fax or um, uh, J-fax, and I think they're the same thing. Uh, both both do that, and I think Page Sender uh, supports both of those from your Mac. So yes, these I'm are, actually looking. They, they there's okay. quite a list of them here. So um, maybe bringing because I mean the advantage of this then is uh, you know you'll have the documents uh, potentially you know stored on your computer and you can search through them and stuff like that and. Uh, um, yeah. So, so you uh, just, just, uh, what you said is certainly valid, but just to, uh, you know, kick it up a notch uh, again, assuming that you have a fax modem, which, well, wait, 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 no, no, given. no, you don't want to have a fax modem. Cause that's got the same problem. You need to plug it into a phone line. Fax. Oh, no, no, not yes. work. You no, no. Have... What I'm just suggesting is that instead of a fax machine, you may want to consider uh, one thing is to consider doing the fax activity from your computer. Yeah. But that's the same problem. He still needs I, I to know, plug it into I, the, I understand. So the phone line. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm just, 
just thinking of alternatives here. Okay. Yes, you, you certainly would still have to do that. Or you could just eliminate the phone line right. in general and go to one of these electronic services. Yeah, fax over IP tends to work really. I've been using it with, with uh, Backbeat Media and, and Mac Observer. We've been using fax over IP for 11 years now. Um, okay. So, and it, you know, it, it works flawless. Well, it, it works as flawlessly as a fax machine, which is, and perhaps even better than that because fax machines, I find, you know, they, they're not, it, it's, you know, you're doing, you're, you're essentially using a modem. So there's all kinds of opportunities for interference and issues like that. But uh, fax over IP tends to work pretty well for, for us. Yeah. You know, one other solution is to get a voice over IP line, uh, and and have it terminate in your in your office, right? So if you got and I know you're paying your cable company for one based on what you said about your modem there, uh, Mike, but you could do a, um, you know, get a Vonage connection or some third party thing and put that Vonage adapter right there next to your fax machine uh, might be overkill for what you're doing. But uh, but certainly that that would solve it because then you're you're getting you're getting the phone jack there, but only, you know, only a short run. Right. And, and the, the connectors right there because the Vonage adapter is going to connect over Ethernet. So. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. Fun. Uh, should we talk about contact info, John, before we go on to Kirk? Contact info. Yeah. You mean like if you wanted to call us, you would. Uh, if you wanted to drive the drive the geek gab bus, as it were. Right? No, we don't let people drive the geek. No, we do. That's all we do. And we're just answering these questions. We don't decide what people call in about. So you know. no, We'll let them ride the bus. Okay. <laughs> if you want to ride the bus, then one thing you could do is call us. And, and uh, I, I would call us at 206 Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got a question. I, I know we got to get to this contact information. But uh, if we're not driving the bus and they're not driving the bus, who's driving this bus? It's autopilot. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. All right, go ahead with the contact information. I just needed to get that clear. Thank you. Well, I think I said it. 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335. Or you can email us to premium at macgeekgab.com. I know you said premium at macgeekgab.com. I did. I said premium at macgeekgab.com. That's how you get on this bus. That's right. Uh, Skype to macgeekgab, and it definitely works. So, uh, but... Really, the best way to get comments in the most the, the highest quality uh, you're going to get is by emailing us your audio comments as you've recorded them from your Macs or your various portable eye devices. So that's uh, that's the way to do it. OK, and right. I think um, well, I'll follow up. Uh, I, I think I saw uh, you noted this thing, but brevity is always appreciated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes uh, things easier. We got a lot of stuff to go through. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, screenshots sometimes really help rather than trying to, you know, describe what you see, just give us a screenshot so we can see what you're getting, whether it's an error message or something like that. Um, Cause I found that sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll get questions saying, well, this doesn't work. And it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I understand why people say that because it's very hard. You know, I mean, you're sitting there and it's not working, but, right. but it's hard for us to decipher what that means. So, so if you can at all, you know, again, screenshots or, or, you know, the exact text of an error message, things like that. It, it really, really helps us as they're in on the problem. All right. So on to Kirk. Kirk writes, I tried your method of creating a seamless transitioning between Ethernet and airport by manually setting the IP address to the same IP address in both connections. It worked fine. However, I found that by leaving the home and connecting to another network required me to completely undo these settings. I know I could create a location profile, but do you know of a way to restrict the manual IP address to only one particular network or to assign a location profile to a specific network? Okay. So there's a couple ways to answer this question, John, right? The, the, and you, you came up with actually a couple of, I'll, I'll throw this one out there. My thought was, well, you want when you're at your home network, you want your uh, you want your IP address to be the same on Ethernet and on airports so that you can just seamlessly move between them. And it's really cool to see a transfer start over one protocol and just continue, you know, pretty much uninterrupted as you as you switch from wired to wireless or back. So uh, mo- in, for the most part, when you're out and about, you're probably not connecting to a wired connection. You're probably connecting to a wireless connection. So my idea is this. And when you go into your network, 
connect your set your Ethernet up to be a manual IP address, just like we discussed. Then set your airport up to be an automatic IP address. Get it from DHCP. Finally, go into your router and airport routers will do this. And most third party routers will, too. Uh, and you go to set up uh, a DHCP reservation, which is in the Internet tab, DHCP or Internet pane, DHCP and then DHCP reservations at the bottom uh, and put in the same IP address for your airport connection. And that way, when you're at home, your airport will automatically get an address, but it'll be that same address that your Ethernet has. When you're out and about, your airport will automatically get an address, but it'll be assigned by that router. And that should work fine. Uh, as long as you've got the hardware that will allow you to do this, uh, it should work totally fine. But, John, you have other solutions that perhaps are even better. Um, well, one thing, I, I think I described this before, but this is just my mode of operation, is that I will create individual locations for the right. situation. Now, that's, it's kind of... No, oh, that's smart. I think that's smart. Yeah. But uh, uh, the reason I do that is because I did run into a situation, uh, and this was a bug actually in one of the prior OS X updates. Uh, I think they fixed it by now, but I, I still follow this habit. So, so I have one called Home Wired and Home Wireless. And in one of them, only one interface is, is active, either the Ethernet or the airport interface, and everything else I mark as inactive. Wow. So, that sounds like overkill. Well, hey, well, well, I'll tell you the reason I <laughs> okay. did. I, I'll tell you the reason I did that is because there was an OS X update where if you had the Ethernet port on your MacBook Pro, I remember this. Yeah, active, but not plugged into anything. You would, and and you were using Airport. If you slept the machine, slept fine. Wake it up. Wakes up great. Sleep it again. Sleeps great. Wake it up. You would get. It, it was like it. It really tried to wake up, but it, it didn't quite wake up in that the, the backlight on the LCD would not go on. Got it. But there was stuff on the screen, but the, the machine was not very easy to use in that state. Sure. And I don't know if I just stumbled across it or I found someone else did reading through the Apple forms. Yeah, but You talked but if about you, it on the show. I, rem I remember this now. Yeah. I, that button but has you, been fixed, right? Uh, well, I don't know because yeah, it I has. It has. It has. But the thing was, the solution to that problem was to make the Ethernet interface inactive. Before I had the setup where I had both the airport and the Ethernet active, because I figure, well, why not? Sure, and I and, and I would bug, say that's the right way to do it. And and I'm I'm ninety nine percent certain that 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 bug was short lived. Uh, there was an update that came out that that patched. Yeah. That up. Yeah. The weirdest part is that it didn't happen on the first sleep, but the second yeah. or, or the wake up, the second wake up. And it was very consistent. It was very reproducible, which is good. Now, the other thing, Dave, I thought about this and I haven't used this utility uh, very often, but I, yeah. I want to revisit it because um, the, the wording of this question suggest, suggested this Marco Polo. Oh, good thinking. I haven't used Marco Polo. Marco Polo, um, as they describe it, Marco Polo brings context-aware computing to your portable Mac computer. I've I've used this. I'm I'm not currently using it, but I, I I've used it before. What what it does is you set some criteria. So, uh, and this may or may not work in Kirk's situation, but you set something that is unique to one environment. And that could be the network location that you choose. But in this case, Kirk wants to set his network location. So we've got to find something else, uh, you know, maybe a Bluetooth device that's available or a USB device that's only plugged in at home. Or, you know, you could use a printer that's only there uh, when you're at your home office versus somewhere else. And and yeah, that's right. So you set up these rules that say when I'm in this situation, make all these changes. And one of the changes, it, 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 it would work, John, is you could do a. Uh, you know, a network location. So he could set his network location automatically one way or another, but, but, it, but there's gotta be something that the computer can, can see automatically that tells it to move to this, to this other right. profile. And I think the rule here is that it does have a rule saying detect ethernet cable. Right. But that's not going to solve his problem because he wants the IP address at home to be the same, whether mm -hmm. he's on airport right. or ethernet. So, it, it, you know, Bluetooth device might be the best, but even that, you know, well, depending it has on detect how it pees. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, I, I haven't thought it entirely through, but uh, but I think it has the potential to be able to, yeah, it detects a lot of things that are unique to a certain configuration. So I think he may be able to come up with a rule set. Yeah. 
Oh, you know, actually, one of the things it can use is the visible Wi-Fi networks. So you could definitely use that, right? Have a trigger on the the Wi-Fi network that's unique to your home, and then it'll change the profile, and then you're good to go. And when you're when that network is not visible, uh, you know, that, what you do is you'd set a default configuration that's home. And then you set another rule that says when my home Wi-Fi network is not visible to me, set, you know, set my my network location to be this other thing. Right. Mm -hmm. That would be the way to do it. Cool. Do we have time for one more, John? I think we do. Uh, let's see. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. A few minutes. OK. Uh, let's go. Let's go to let's go to John. Uh, this is a it's an interesting question. Uh. Okay, so John says, my wife runs a small e-commerce site, which I maintain. On Tuesday, somebody accessed the server via FTP with a single attempt, i.e. they had the correct password, and uploaded a malicious file. Fortunately, I happened to spot this before any apparent damage was done and quickly went about removing the files and changing all of the passwords. We know this from looking at the FTP logs. We are now in the process of trying to work out how someone might have obtained the password. The password in question is always used... Uh, only on HTTPS pages. And then he goes on to some particulars of his provider, which we'll, we'll sort of gloss over here on my Mac. The places where the password is stored include secure notes in the OS 10 keychain, uh, X marks on my wife's Mac. And this is copied to her Dropbox encrypted wallet pro synced online from Memengo. The password has only been sent by email once when she originally signed up to her hosting company. How can I relate this to the geek gab is that our hosting company has suggested the most likely way of someone getting the password is through a key logger or Trojan on our infected computers. My instinct is to smugly reply saying we use Macs. However, with all possible ways of someone getting the password seeming quite unlikely, I felt it's worth not ignoring the possibility and wondered if you've heard of any such vulnerabilities. If using the Mac, my wife's using the latest version of 10.5 leopard and I'm using the latest build of 10.6 snow leopard. My wife does have Windows 7 running in VMware Fusion, though she assures me that she never uses the password on that. And the Xmarks passwords do not sync to Windows, nor does the Dropbox. So, so I guess let's start with his question. Are there any keyloggers that could do this? Oh, sure. Really? Um, yep, I, I did a quick search. There, there's absolutely keyloggers for, uh, for the Mac. Well, there's a couple of different key lockers. So one, um, uh, someone, uh, again, key loggers, if you get admin access to the machine, you could install a software key logger. Of course, another possibility is that they certainly make hardware key loggers. Sure. They go between the keyboard. Now, of course, then you got to worry because, you know, if someone's... Now of these key loggers, are there any that are that are viral trojany in nature, or are these more uh, just software packages that you would install, say, you know, to, yes. to monitor your kids or anything like the that? The latter. Okay. The latter. I, I um, yeah, I, I didn't come across doing a quick search of any, you know, and I, I call it more malware. Yeah, right. But good, good. Yeah, good term. Yep. Yeah, vir um, uh, I think it's very. Uh, I don't know if there are really anything you could you could technically call a virus on the Mac, but there's right. certainly malware, which is malware is a program that you know looks to be one thing but is another, and and you'll see this sometimes when when you search and you know you search for certain software, and you'll get a site where you know it's not an established site like. Uh, you know, I, I would say some good sources for Mac software would be like you know Mac Update and Version Tracker, and, sure. and I don't know if you have any you know, favorites uh, to uh, me, I'd say this would be it. Yeah. Okay. Between the two of those, I, I would say it's pretty safe to say that if something is on one of those sites, um, it, it it's probably been scanned for viruses and it, and it's safe. Um, maybe not a hundred percent, but I, I trust them more than some of these random sites where they have, cause I even searched and I searched for keylogger and I came up with things that were like, Oh yes, we got keylogger for Mac. One was a commercial package, but then there's some others that looked very suspicious. So, okay. It's entirely possible that inadvertently um, a keylogger has been installed on the Mac. Now, the, the thing is that normally on the Mac, of course, you know, any software install requires a, you know, a, a giving an admin password. So right. Uh, so it's certainly possible, uh, though I'm not aware of any uh, as of late. Uh, again, it could be some malware. It could be something that was 
you know, that you got from, you know, a questionable site and it, it, it claimed to be one piece of software and somebody buried a keylogger in it. That, that, that's certainly possible. Yeah, my my guess upon reading this was that it was not compromised in this way and that it was compromised in some other way. I mean, it, it, it we all believe we remember all the times we've used these passwords and, and all that. But, it you know, it's possible, always possible that, you know, we've done it in some way or sent the email to the wrong place or maybe somebody on the hosting company side, you know, some uh, that was. Right. You know, yeah. some, some, some disgruntled ex or soon to be ex employee, right. You know, wants to make the hosting company look bad. So they, they start, you know, wiping out all their user users accounts or whatever. I, you know, any of these things are also possible. I'm not saying that you don't have a key logger, but the chances that you have one that you don't know about when it's clear you are quite technically savvy uh, from your email, the, it, the chances of that are pretty slim, not impossible, but pretty slim. And they're, you know, just as slim or maybe even slimmer than it being one of these various other things. Right. Occam's razor applies here. And uh, and, I, you know, I just don't think the keylogger is is it hard no, to explain no. that to the tech support rep on the other end, though. Right. Now, one thing that caught my attention is in the uh, the, the letter talking about this, uh, the term FTP was specifically used. That's true. Yeah. It, and it was unclear. It was it was mentioned in both its secure and unsecure form. Um, you know, let, let's assume for the moment that it was it was the not secure FTP, which I don't think it was. But but let's assume that it was the insecure FTP. Even with that, the chances of somebody sniffing out your password, even even though it's being sent in plain text, uh, are pretty slim. Unlike it. Uh, I agree. Unlikely. And just to uh, review what, what you want to do. So FTP is bad because everything's set in the clear. Now, as you state, Dave, the, the likelihood of somebody sitting on a router somewhere watching all your traffic is, uh, you know, hmm, I just had a thought here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if a wireless connection is uh, is part of the equation here. Yeah, an insecure wireless connection with FTP being sent in the clear. Now you're finally getting to something that's, you know, that's more likely than anything else we've discussed. Okay. Again, we'll, 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 let's assume that there is a wireless access point somewhere in this environment. Yep. That may not be secured properly. The thing is, if you get access to a wireless access point, and I've, I've seen this, like, you know, even if you don't authenticate, if you go to, um, if you go to like, like I, I've tried this at airports just, just for yucks. Okay. Even if you try to connect sometimes to some of these services and they want to, you know, nail you for whatever, 10 bucks for an hour or something like right, that. Right. That's not like, secure. Right. Yeah. You can still see a lot of traffic, a lot of broadcast traffic on those things. I even saw, you know, people sharing their iTunes library. And again, I didn't pay for access. Right. I just hopped on this thing, tried to log in, but I was still associated with something and I was seeing Lots of traffic. I was seeing iTunes libraries being shared. I think one time I, you know, uh, saw someone's vacation pictures. Then isn't that interesting? Yeah, no, that's right. If if you were ever in an airport or Starbucks or anywhere else and said, "Oh, I got to make an update to the site. I'm going to do it here," and you happen to use FTP and insecure proto, you know, FTP in the clear, uh, then it, yeah, that's certainly possible. That's possible. I mean it. It, it's 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 a whole lot less likely than it is likely, right? But certainly possible, right? Um, so I think I've uh, the thing that you do want to do is that if you are doing FTP, what you may want to do is talk to these folks and and instead do something like one thing they have is called SFTP, which is uh, basically combining our pal SSH, which is a secure way of connecting to another machine and bringing FTP into that. It's called SFTP, I think is. Yep. Uh, is a term for that. You'd want to switch to that. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, of course, go ahead. Of course, the other thing, uh, one other thing I'll bring up and you know, it's one of your favorites, Dave. Now, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> well, well, I don't know if John w wants to use this, but, but this is where a tool like little snitch would come in handy. The thing is the key logger has to phone home at some point to, to give its payload to, to the bad guy. Right. Um, little snitch is one utility that could give you a head to, uh, and, and 
I understand your point, Dave. The thing is, sometimes the number of messages brought up by Little Snitch are overwhelming, and you may not know what they are. But but if you are, if you do understand the type of connections that your software makes, and all of a sudden you see from left field, hey, you know, whatever wants to communicate on port one two three four to badguy.com. <laughs> and they do make it quite that clear. It's it's usually badguy.com, right? Isn't Probably not. No, that's right. But um, you know, if 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 you know enough the connections that are like, you know, I still go to web pages and all of a sudden they'll load like they're, they're like, Hey, can I load, you know, port one, you know, 1024, you know, whatever database service. And I'm like, no, you don't need to get to that. I'm on a web page port 80. That's it. Right. Leave me alone. And I, I, I sometimes worry about some of these pages that are trying to get my computer to connect to things that I don't think are necessary. So, um, I mean, it's hard to say in retro. Now, he does say he has the logs. So the thing is, I mean, if you have the FTP logs, then you probably have the IP of where this came from. I don't know if it's too late to do an investigation. Sure. Yeah, that's right. You can. Well, you can write to abuse at, at whoever owns the, uh, you know, if you if you have an IP address, go to the terminal, type who is space and then type the IP address. That will usually do a reverse lookup that gives you the, the owner of the net block find out their domain name, which should be obvious from their owner name and, uh, and then write to abuse at their domain name. Uh, most ISPs take the stuff that comes into abuse very seriously and you'll hear back from them very, very quickly. Um, and, and that may, that may be able to help. Yep. That's right. Oh yeah. I've, I've had to do this when I, I manage servers. Yeah. I would, I would have, you know, suspicious things in the logs. Sure. Well, I was on both sides of it, but I would see suspicious things in the logs that you said, Dave, and uh, sometimes they, they would, you know, deactivate that person saying, uh, right. sorry about that. We had a customer who was abusing their privileges and, uh, and, and we cut them off. Now, of course, I also had one time where uh, I think it was IBM. IBM was hosting a server that I was probing. Yes. And I got a call from them. They're like, uh, yeah, um, what are you doing? I'm like, um, nothing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll catch you. Right. I, I did. Uh, I did. Yeah. Uh, in, in, that, in this case, I almost got caught. That's right. Yes, right. <laughs> well, it sounds like you did get caught. Just not, you know, with any repercussions. I did. The, the, what they saw was a prelude to an attack, but I, I, I was basically probing an machine. Got it. Uh, I, I did. I was not successful, but I was basically looking at it to see, you know, how, how, how well locked down is this? And no, it was a uh, it was locked down quite well. Cool. Uh, all right. So the uh, let's see. We've told you how to contact us. Uh Thank you very much for being subscribed to the premium edition of Mac Geek Cab. Uh, most of you have been through the new sign-up procedure. In fact, I think everyone would have to be uh, have at least migrated their accounts by now. So hopefully that's gone very well for you. If you're hearing this, I was going to say, if you're having any trouble, let us know. But if you're hearing this, you're not having any trouble. Uh, but uh, hopefully everybody that anybody that is knows how to contact us. Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. Converts this to AAC for you, so definitely uh, send him a shout-out. He's at Michael Johnston on Twitter. John is at John F. Braun on Twitter. I'm at Dave Hamilton, and of course, the Geek Cab overall is Mac Geek Cab. Cashfly, cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. And uh, I think that's it. I think we're ready to get out of here, right, John? I, I gotta, think we are. Well, you're ready to get out of here. I'm taking the kids to see Arlo tonight. Arlo. Arlo Guthrie. Oh, yeah. 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 So, should be fun. I don't have anything else to say. That's good. We'll be back Monday. Cool stuff found coming Monday. We got a big, long list of it, so it should be fun. Excellent. Send in your stuff over the weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the uh, dads out there this, uh, oh, right. this Sunday. Have fun. Take your time. Don't get caught. Made up.